Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, Raider Nation, back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Damon Cotton and your boy Q. It is Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920, coming off the heels of the JT The Brick Show, which is following the morning tailgate. Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, and Clay Baker. Happy to be with you for the next three hours. Got a lot to get to on today's show. Very excited about it. Plus, we got some prizes to give to you on today's show. And Damon, can you believe it is already time for Battle for Vegas again? It feels like that softball game we were just at, Las Vegas ballpark and saw the Knights actually defeat the Raiders for the first time since the Battle for Vegas has been going on. But can you believe it's that time already? I can't believe it. When I saw it in the in our promo suite, that's the system that we use for giveaway tickets, I didn't believe it. I had to ask Craig in promotions, is that supposed to be in there? <laughs> right. This is not a little early for this, but yeah, I mean, it's April already. Of course, the Battle for Vegas will come up pretty soon, but uh, tickets will go on sale on Monday. So we have tickets for you. Matter of fact, we'll have tickets going on this afternoon. We'll give them out. And it's always a fun time, man, being out at the Las Vegas ballpark. Really a great place to go out and see anything that's going on. doesn't matter if it's an aviator game, which, of course, you can hear aviators uh, broadcast right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And also, you know, the softball events. They had the Pro Bowl activities going on there not too long ago. I mean, that's a beautiful ballpark. Ask the A's. <laughs> Ask the A's. Is that the AAA affiliate of the Oakland A's? They'd love to have that ballpark as nice as it is. It's got a swimming pool in it. But uh, just a great time to, to have a good time and get prepared for the upcoming NFL season. So the battle for Vegas, Golden Knights and the, and the Raiders, they battle it out each and every year. And uh, the, 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 uh, the rosters are still to be determined. But that's coming, and we got tickets for you that we'll give out this afternoon. That's just part of the show, of course. I mean, that's just a little small, minor part of the show, but we always have a lot of really good prizes. I've never been so impressed with the promotions department that has the tickets that we have. I mean, we have all kind of different tickets that we give out all the time to concert events and uh, sporting events, and we just got so much going on around here. Our, our guy Craig does a great job making sure that we stay laced up with all the best prizes, so uh, happy to be able to provide those for you coming up this afternoon. But speaking of coming up this afternoon, the guest that we have on the show today uh, is the star-studded affair like we always have, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He'll start things off at 2.30. We'll talk all things NFL draft, and we'll really focus on the offensive side of things with him because he put out a piece on ESPN.com where he was talking about the Raiders' options as far as offense goes. Next week, he said he'll put out defense. So we'll have him back next week to talk defense. And of course, the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th will be in Kansas City talking about the NFL draft, prepare for the first round. I mean, literally, Damon, 14 days away from today, we'll be in Kansas City. I mean, the first round of the draft will begin starting in 14 short days. People say I can't wait all the time, but I literally cannot wait. Not so much. What has you most excited about the draft? To see where the, to see where those quarterbacks are going to fall. Okay. For me, the draft starts, well, you know, oh, the draft starts when this guy gets drafted. Right. For me, it's Anthony Richardson. That I am so intrigued to see where he goes because – I feel like with people, it could be one, it could be ten. For me, it's if he goes number one, it will, it will be a shock, but it'll be one of those. I called it. You think there's it'll a, be a surprise? You but think there's a good chance he goes number one? Are you? Are you, I mean, is that where your your gut feeling's leaning? Yes. When we talk about the ceiling and the Carolina Panthers, because we always hear with whoever drafts him, I hope that they give him time. I hope that they have the system in place, and I think that when Carolina, what they're building with Frank Reich, I do think that they have that system. 
place to be able to take that swing. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. DeMond's calling his shot. He thinks Anthony Richardson will go number one. I think he'll be available at number three, but... Again, that's just what we're talking about at this point, 14 days out from the upcoming draft. And I'll say this, when it comes to Anthony Richardson, and this comes from one of our guests that we're going to have on the show today, uh, put out a piece uh, in Houston, sources, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson knocked the S2 cognitive test out of the park. Also acing combine workout test. That's from Aaron Wilson from KPRC2 in H-Town. He'll be our guest coming up at 3.30 today, talking all things about this S2 test and what it really is. You know, I mean, what it really means as far as the quarterbacks go and, you know, does that mean that they're going to be a really good prospect? Of course, none of it matters until they get on the field and they can show what they could do. But just to keep it in perspective, Brock Purdy, a season ago, did really well. Brock Purdy did pretty stinking good his rookie year as the Mr. Irrelevant pick uh, from 2022, which we shouldn't even say Mr. Irrelevant anymore because he was very relevant in 2022 for the 49ers. Another guy who did really well on the S2 test, Bryce Young. Many consider the number one overall pick. Many consider he could be going number one to Carolina. I kind of think that they're leaning in that direction. Adam Schefter from ESPN even came out and said, "I don't know why Houston's visiting with them. It, it, that's a long, that's a that's a that's a long gone for uh, you know conclusion. That's already gone. Like that's 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 too too late now. Too late to visit with him now. He's going number one to Carolina. So Adam Schefter is a full believer that Bryce Young will go number one to Carolina. Obviously, we don't know, and we, we'll never find out until the twenty seventh. So I guess we will find out, but." Not for two more weeks. But uh, Shefty believes that, that, that Bryce Young is going to go number one. But he scored really high. Matter of fact, he had the best score when it comes to the S2 test. That smells like propaganda to me. The Adam Schefter. I don't know, it man. It smells like propaganda. You know what it sounds like? It sounds you like. You know, when, the agents talk to the no, Schefter. You know what it sounds like? like? Hey. It sounds like when everyone came out and said Baker Mayfield's going to go number one. And I couldn't even believe it. I was there in Arlington for the draft, and I had people calling me up. I was doing a, 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 a radio interview literally minutes before the draft started. And people were like, Q, they say Baker Mayfield's going to go number one. I was like, yeah, but I've seen him play. You know, I've seen him play. I don't think he's the best quarterback in the country. I don't think he's the best quarterback in the land where it's like a no doubt about it, he's going to go number one overall. And then a few minutes later, Baker Mayfield went number one. Right? So it just it really feels like that time when you start talking about Bryce Young and the way that Shefty and Chris Mortensen and others are saying, yeah, there's no doubt he's going to go number one overall. It feels like it is a foregone conclusion that Bryce Young will be that guy at number one. So then the question is, is C.J. Stroud the number the guy at number two, or do they go with Anthony Richardson? Do they go with a defensive player? D'Amico Ryan's is their head coach, defensive minded guy. Do they throw a monkey wrench into the draft and go with D'Amico? I mean, not D'Amico Ryan's, but uh, Will Anderson for D'Amico Ryan's. Like, there's a lot of different things could, that could happen at number two if Bryce Young goes number one. I'd be shocked. This would be the real shock. If the Texans don't take a quarterback at number two, and let's say if it is Bryce Young, yeah. and they say he was, our guy, he was our guy no matter what, so now we're going to go with Will Anderson, for me that'll be the shock of what is this team doing? Really? What if they're not sold on the quarterback? I'm not saying that you have to take a quarterback, but yeah. I'm saying for them. D'Amico Ryan has a six-year deal. So they know that they're not going to be world beaters this year. They know that they're not going to be playoff contenders this year. But what if they say, we're not sold on these quarterbacks? We'll just go with the best defensive player, build up the defense like D'Amico Ryan's knows, who's a defensive-minded head coach, and then go from there. Then maybe go back and double-dip and get the quarterback next year. They have 10 draft picks next year right now. Why not? Seems risky. But I, I, I'm just, for me, for when it comes to what's the most important position on the field, right? the position that— hey, But what if they're not—I'm saying, what if they're not sold on that guy? What if— what if C.J. Stroud is just not their cup of tea? What if Anthony Richardson is not worth the risk? What if Will Levis is not worth the risk? What if Hennon Hooker is too injured? I saw, actually, 
I saw a, a mock draft from John McClain, and we'll have him on the show next Tuesday, where he had Will Anderson going number two and Hendon Hooker going number 12. Well, both, both are Texans <laughs> picks, man. For me, it's still uh, you got to take a quarterback. With them having that other first-round pick, maybe if someone falls that low, but I wouldn't take Hendon Hooker that high in the draft. But for me, when it comes to how important the quarterback position is and building up that team, mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say you got to take him. If if Bryce Young is taking at number one and it's right. the foregone conclusion, hey, you better start looking at who's going to be number two because it's not going to be Bryce Young. But to me, I, I think you just gotta gotta try on a quarterback. We mentioned. Do the that Raiders have to take a quarterback? No, they got Jimmy G. Do the Raiders have to take a quarterback? They don't have to, no. <laughs> but I think that they have someone that they, they, they've got them they for at least a couple. They feel confident. I me, got you. I, it, I'm not saying that, oh, it matters to the fan base. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, when yeah, it comes to building you. your team, you want to be competitive. But do you think going into the season, it's either it's we're, we're probably going to suck. Or do you want <laughs> Davis? Because like, Davis Mills, is it going to be, hey, we're just going to go in and see what happens? Right. Or would you rather have this guy that we could build and see if he's going to be what, the quarterback of the future? Would you be interested in what John McClain put it out, though? Uh, his, his mock draft having Will Anderson go number two and then with the Texans' second pick in round one, number 12 overall, going with Hendon Hooker, and he might not get on the field right away. But at least you have in place what you think is your quarterback of the future. Would you be all right with that? I know I wouldn't because 12 is too high. That's For, for Hendon Hooker, when you have two first-round picks? Yes, I still think okay. that's too high. Okay. I think he's a he's I like a, he's late twenties to me okay. at best when it comes to the value. For me, when it comes to those guys, I'm not saying that those top three guys aren't can't miss. Right. But I feel like they're more of the, the higher ceiling than Hendon Hooker. Okay. When it comes to building around that quarterback of the future. I respect that. I like it. I like it. Well, we'll ask Aaron Wilson coming up at 3.30. He's going to join the show. We'll talk all things Anthony Richardson. That'll be the meat of our conversation. But we will, you know, pivot and say, okay, Aaron, if Bryce Young has gone at one, is Houston going to go with C.J. Stroud? Because it was, at one point, John said that they were going to take whoever the other guy left is. Right? I mean, how many times did John McClain tell us that? Now, I know that he puts out multiple mock drafts, and I know he you know, switches them up every once in a while mm-hmm. so they're not boring and they're the same old thing. But I'm interested, now that he's switched up a little bit, is that something he's hearing, or is he switching up for the mock drafts? Should have asked him that when I had him on the fight game today. I need, finally, <laughs> finally he makes an appearance on DeMond's show. We'll have to ask him about that next week, next Tuesday, when he, he joins the show. And, of course, next week we'll also be doing Unnecessary Roughness NFL Mock Draft. We're already putting everything together. We're going to have every single beat writer from every team, 1 through 31, and we'll have all of them represented on our big board here in the studio, and we'll go through and decide who everyone's going to pick. We'll take pictures of the selection, send it out to that beat writer so when they join the show they can make their selection as well. And I guarantee one, two, maybe even three times in that first round there's going to be a – Whoa, I didn't see that coming. I guarantee it. It happens every time. Usually it's the Raiders that are doing it, right? Not necessarily the beat writers for the Raiders. Usually it's the Raiders in general that make that pick. It's like, whoa, I didn't see Clea at four. Whoa, I didn't see Alex Leatherwood at 17. Whoa, I didn't see this guy at that. I didn't see Arnett at 19, right? I mean, that's usually what it is. I guarantee in that first round when we're doing our mock draft here, Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920, we have the big board up on the wall. There will be at least two or three times between 1 and 31, there's only 31 because Miami doesn't have a first-round pick. Tampering. Yeah, there you go. That somebody, somebody, myself or you or both, and everyone listening will say, whoa, I didn't expect that. I guarantee it happens. I can't wait to see who we get to, for, to pick at number seven because that's going to be the – That'll be day two. Who should we get? Normally we have Ed on Monday. Maybe we should pivot and have Ed on Tuesday and make him make the pick. 
Yeah, Edge too sensible. I want someone that's gonna make a. <laughs> you an want awful, a dummy? Yeah. You so want then, a dummy? So then the text line gets blown up. Somebody, why would they have that? Why would they have him picking us? Why would we have him uh, taking at number seven? This guy's an idiot. I want that reaction. I thought Ed about, would do. Ed would do the sensible the pick. I thought about Raider Nation making the pick. Right. I thought about it at first, like letting someone call in and text in or whatever, or coming up with a, con- uh, a consensus, like coming up with a majority and just sliding that in at number seven. But I realized something from doing this show. Ain't nobody going to agree. Ain't nobody going to agree. So, you know what? We'll just have somebody that's not you, that's not me, that's not a regular that we have. I mean, well, maybe maybe we'll have someone that's out of the blue. Maybe we won't have Ed. Maybe we'll, we'll pick up someone else uh, to make that pick. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But somebody will make that pick on, uh, on Tuesday at number seven for the Silver and Black. Uh, that's going to be a lot of pressure, but we'll figure that out. So Aaron Wilson joins us at 3.30. Talk all things. Uh, we'll talk Anthony Richardson with him. And then, of course, we'll deep dive into what the Houston Texans might do with the number two overall pick. At 4 o'clock, every day we've done a little bit of NBA playoff conversation, a little bit of a preview. Well, Jessica Benson, Grind City Media, uh, the Je- Jessica Benson Show. She does a fantastic job with both. She'll join us at 4 o'clock to talk about DeMond's Memphis Grizzlies. And I'll say this. I, uh, I do... I feel like I do a really good job of booking guests, and you know, as soon as the show's over, literally myself and Demar go back to the office and start working on the next day's show. I mean, I, sometimes I'll sit around here for like an hour and a half before I even go home because I'm still working on the show. I didn't come up with Jessica Benson until this morning, and I'll tell you how this came up. I was listening to our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas, the press box, because I wanted to hear Lindsay's full interview that she did with Linda Cohn from ESPN, who did a fantastic job. And Jessica was on with Tyler Bischoff and, and Ed Graney talking all things Grizzlies, and I was like, wow, wow, she's really good. So I immediately sent her a direct message on Twitter and was like, hey, I know you were just on our sister station ESPN Las Vegas, but can you join us this afternoon? She's like, oh, I'd, I'd be happy to. So I'm not going to lie, Raider Nation, I stole her. <laughs> I stole that that uh, that guest right there from the press box, so she'll be on with us at 4 o'clock to talk about the Grizzlies and the Lakers. And DeMond, I'll tell you this, I'm not trying to gas you up. I'm not trying to gas up anybody who's a Grizzly fan. I don't see any reason why the Lakers win this series against Memphis. I see no reason at all. That's what I'm talking about, Q. Man, you ain't never been more right in your life right there. <laughs> come on. It's, it's playoff time. I can't stand the Lakers. Dylan Brooks, I want him to dress like whatever you know 90s what? wrestler. He, he has gotten you see on him my, with the hair with yes. the with, Oh, man. He has gotten on my last nerve. If there's no one wrong. guy I can't stand, that's him. I cannot stand Dylan Brooks. He, he man, I mean, if he – you know, fell down the stairs and didn't hurt himself, but just fell down the <laughs> stairs. I'd be happy. I wouldn't want him to hurt himself, but I wouldn't. I would have no problem if he just fell down the stairs. Is it because he's light skinned? What is it? What did he do to you? <laughs> no. The only person I give that that kind of flack to is Chris Carter, uh, host of Locked On Steelers. That's the only guy I give that uh, that that light skinned uh, hate against is uh, Chris Carter, and that's because it's Chris Carter. But no, I just don't like. He just is one of those guys, and I'm sure if he's on your team, you probably it's kind of similar to Draymond Green, right? Where he's on your team, you love him. But if not, you just can't stand the guy. I, I cannot stand Dylan Brooks. He's just, he's so extra. I, Draymond is extra. Don't get me wrong. As a Warrior fan, I get tired of Draymond at times. I'm like, come on, dude. Come on, man. Just just ease up a little bit. But I really can't stand Dylan Brooks. And, and if he wasn't on your team, I bet you, you couldn't stand him either. Sometimes he shoots a little too much and I can't stand him. <laughs> Well, there you go. The truth will set you free. So Jessica Benson will join us at 4 o'clock, talk Grizzlies and Lakers as we uh, continue to preview upcoming playoff matches. And then Matt Holder, Silver and Black Pride, we uh, we have him as a last-minute addition. He'll join the show at 4.30. He put out a tweet earlier, and he was talking about second-round defensive backs that he thinks the Raiders should be interested in, and he knows I'm a big Emmanuel Forbes guy from Mississippi State. So he put in his tweet, oh, a little nugget here on 
Q's favorite guy, and it was Emmanuel Forbes. And so as soon as I saw that, it was a really interesting nugget that he had, even though I don't think Emmanuel Forbes makes it around two. I was like, okay, you got my attention. You won. That was that was a victory right there. Like I get caught up in a lot of rabbit holes when it comes to Twitter, and I start tweeting back and forth too many times. This one was a good one. So he caught my attention. So I said, all right, Matt, I'm going to get you. Uh, I fell for it. I fell for the banana tailpipe. We'll get you on at 430 to talk about uh, Emmanuel Forbes and other second-round defensive backs that you think the, interest, the Raiders should have interest in. So there you go. That's the guest lineup that we have for you today. Paul Gutierrez in about uh, 15 minutes from now uh, from ESPN talking all things Raiders. 3.30, Aaron Wilson, KPRC2, Channel 2 in uh, in Houston. We'll talk all things Anthony Richardson. Plus, we'll talk about the Texans and what they're going to do at number two. Jessica Benson, Grind City Media. Also, the Je- Jessica Benson Show will join us at four to talk about the Grizzlies and the Lakers. And then we'll close out our guest lineup with Matt Holder, Silver and Black Pride at 4.30, talking all things Raiders draft picks and, in particular, second-round defensive backs. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. So we found out that the Raiders are going to have uh, a press conference, not this Friday, but next Friday, uh, as in preparation for the NFL draft. And so I just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, bring it into perspective and really start to think about what the Raiders are looking for. And, you know, I've said this before on the show about what a Raider is to Dave Ziegler, what a Raider looks like to Josh McDaniels, what a Raider looks like to Champ Kelly. You know, what what should a Raider defender look like to Patrick Graham? I've, I've thrown that out there multiple times. So I really want to kind of get in perspective today and hear from you, Raider Nation, and get your thoughts at 702-365-9200. Also, the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. So with that being said, what characteristics should GM Dave Ziegler and company look for in their early round draft picks. Because, look, the later it gets in the draft, the more it's going to be like, okay, these are going to be guys that we're going to bring in and see if they can cut it. And a lot of them are going to probably cut their teeth when it comes to special teams. They'll probably be really you know, good special teams players or guys that can start contributing on special teams. But they're going to have to fight their way onto the roster. But the early round draft picks, like what are you looking for? What is the characteristics you're looking for in a guy that may be drafted number seven overall? Or whenever the Raiders pick first. And how about in the second round? Or if they do like I think they're going to do and trade back into the back end of round one and use some of that 12 draft capitals that they have to, to go ahead and kind of maneuver their way through the draft, you know, what, what characteristics, what should they be looking for in those kind of guys? And the answer that I have, and then I'll throw it out there to you at 702-365-9200, and again, the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r what characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company look for in their early round draft picks? What are you looking for? For me, three things, real simple. Alpha dog mentality. You got to have it. If you're that number seven overall pick, you've got to be an alpha. Straight up. I don't think that there's any room for discussion. If you're not an alpha, what are we doing? Right? I mean, if you're, if you're that guy, you should be expected to be an alpha. Straight up. Also, playmaking ability. You look at the Raiders roster, what is the one thing that they lack? Playmakers. They don't have guys that create plays. Devontae Adams creates plays as a wide receiver. Josh Jacobs, he, 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 he creates plays as a running back, right? I mean, he, he makes missed tackles and stuff. I mean, he gives the extra effort. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and you're really talking about the bare bones of it, there's not enough playmakers, offensively or defensively, right? Again, Devontae, Josh, kind of, sort of, and who on defense? Like, even Max makes – he creates havoc because he gets to the quarterback, but he's not really making a ton of plays. 
Like, he's not causing strip sacks. He's not coming up with interceptions. Now, he's doing everything he can. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to slight him at all. But he's not coming up with extra game-wrecking plays, right? Like, you could say Aaron Donald, Super Bowl, came up with big playmakes plays at the end. Basically took over the game himself, right? Guys like, you know, big-time corners that can come up with the ball, right? Come down with the ball and, and create create turnovers, get the ball back to their offense. You're not seeing that. You're not seeing Chandler Jones, who has I don't know how many career strip sacks, right? That was one of the big things I was excited about him coming to the Raiders because, okay, he's going to not only have more strip sacks, but he's going to teach those guys the art of the strip sack. That didn't happen. Got to have guys that have a knack for making plays. And then the third thing for me, just intelligence, man. Situational football. You got to understand it. You can't have Jerry Tillery type moments. You just can't. You can't have dumb penalties. You got to be able to hold your water. You can't, you know, have a false start on fourth and one. You just can't. Just got to be better than that moment. You've got to understand how big that moment is. So for me, that's it. That's it. It's those three things. It's just that simple. Alpha dog mentality, playmaking ability, intelligence when it comes to situational football. That's what I got. What about you, DeMar? For me, the first thing, I don't know if this falls into the characteristic line, but production. I want someone that produced in college. Not so much where, oh, it's the potential. Someone no, for that's me. A, that's, a, that's a huge characteristic. Some, Absolutely. Someone for me that would be off my board if you're picking, and let's say, the top 15, Lucas Van Ness. Where it's, oh, man, he's got the measurables of all the great edge rushers in the league. Yeah, but what did he really do in college? So now you're just like, that's one player that I can point out and say, if I'm picking inside the top 10, as some people say he might go that high. But for me, no, you don't have the production. Okay. And then second after that would be the work ethic. Yes, uh, with the movie Air coming out, I've been watching a couple of interviews. And Bobby, <laughs> Knight, and Bobby Knight said about Michael Jordan where he could just tell from like having him on the Olympic team, this guy's going to be one of the greatest of all time. His work ethic you know, is unmatched. And that's Bobby Knight saying that about him when he was still in college, about this guy's going to be one of the best. So I do think that it is something to it when you have that work ethic. I know you can say that about – I like it. Hey, no, I like guy, it. That's a guy, great characteristic. Yeah. That's a great characteristic. I, I'd say that I, I brag on work ethic all the time. That's all I got. Yes. I got my waves and my work ethic. <laughs> and I, I know two I, W's. <laughs> and I know I contradict myself because if Jalen Carter's there, it's not so much that the work. Well, oh, but you, you're contradicting yourself. Yeah, I know. But sometimes it's special talent. He would be the only person I'd say. Well, he's a game wrecker. Pick, yes. he's a game wrecker. He's pro- that's why production is my number one. Right. Because we can look at the production and okay. say, but when he's out there, he's out right. there. You know, and the funny thing about that is Charles Woodson, when he first started in the league before he went to Green Bay, he didn't practice very hard. You know, they said he didn't really pay attention in meetings, but when the lights came on. Charles Woodson was showtime. He was the dude, right? So it was funny. He just, he didn't, his work ethic might not have been great, but when he got to Green Bay, he realized how he, what he needed to be. And, and this is not from me. This is, I mean, Charles will tell you that. You know, I mean, that's just, that's how his kind of mentality changed, but he was just so uber talented that he was able to get away with that. I, I say it about LeBron all the time. The first few years of LeBron in the league, fantastic. He didn't even have to work that hard. He just was out there being the mm-hmm. dude. When he went to Miami and lost to Dallas in 2011, that humbled him. And you know what LeBron did? I'm back in the lab. I'm working my tail off. That made him get even better to the point where LeBron is, well, <laughs> who he ended up going yeah. on to be, being LeBron James. LeBron James. And then for me, the other one, it's the work ethic, but also the attention to detail. Where you, you It's kind of similar to yeah. yours when you yeah. say uh, the awareness. Yeah, yeah, the, inte- yeah. the intelligence, yeah. Yeah, the like awareness. Yep. But for me, just that attention to detail because those are the things that when we talk to all these players, that's that little difference. Hey, mm-hmm. I see how he puts his hand in the ground. I see when the receiver's lining up or his hands on his hips, which way is he leaning, where is he putting his weight. 
just that attention to detail that maybe if you can pick up on those things, yeah. that's that difference between, hey, maybe you're just – your borderline is we know we can put that guy in in key situations. I like it. No, that's that's great breakdown right there. Three good ones from DeMond, three good ones from me. What do you got for us? 702-365-9200-69187, keyword R&R. That's the don'tbebroke.com text line. Again, what characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company be looking for in the early round picks, like at least the first two picks, what should they be looking for? We want to hear from you. Damon, who we got up first? Let us know. Matt Hoboken. Matt, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? What's up, guys? I'm going to answer the question, but I want to, I'll answer it in a way that of the original point I called in to make. Which okay. Is, I, think there's, I think there's some uh, pitfalls that we need to try to avoid in this draft, and uh, I'm going to explain what I think we shouldn't do, and by that you'll get, I think, what we should. Okay. So, um, we all know that we didn't really go too crazy with defense in the in the free agency period, right? And the rallying cry since that period of time has been, okay, we're going to build the defense through the drift, which I totally agree with. And that's been the rallying cry on the station since yep. free agency basically started. So yep. that, I think, would be the right way to go. Now, if we decide to take a quarterback in the first round, I think that would be a big mistake. And I'm going to say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, if we, if we want to go after the big two, which is Bryce Young and T.J. Stroud, we're probably going to have to trade up. And in that scenario, we're most likely going to have to give up our second-round pick mm-hmm. or at least a bunch of picks. And now you're not picking a defensive starter potentially till the third round. When in the third round, you're throwing, the dice, you're throwing dice to get a starter in the third round once you start there. So you might get out of the draft without any real impact defensive player if you decide to trade up to get one of those big two quarterbacks. Now, in terms of the big two quarterbacks, I, don't even th- I think they could miss. It's not like years past where you had guys that are, are can't-miss guys. Joe Burrow was a can't-miss kind of guy. Yep. Andrew Luck is a can't-miss, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Those guys are can't. These guys can miss. All right? So the, and now you want to draft a quarterback at number seven. You want to go for Richardson or Levis. I think that also would be a mistake. Uh, Richardson, DeMond, to your point, uh, you want to talk about, you know, staying away from guys without production. He's probably one of the least productive Ooh, quarterbacks good one. In, in the entire draft. If you if you want to go production, he projects as maybe a fourth or a fifth round pick. He had horrible production. So I think, and Will Levis, I'm not big on him either. So, But Anthony Richardson, I think, is a trap. I really believe that is a trap. Whoever takes him, I hope it's not us. <laughs> I think it's a trap. I think it's a typical size, speed, height, weight, potential. What can he do physically? And if you look at his tape, if you really watch the tape, and I watched a lot of Florida games this year, he was average. He was an average quarterback at best, and he is not someone who, who, who tape-wise, decision-making-wise, accuracy-wise, which is a staple in McDaniels' system. You've got to be on point. You've got to be accurate, good decisions. Look at that when it comes to Anthony Richardson and tell me what you think. So I think if, if we decide to go the quarterback route in round one, we're going to miss out on high-level, top-level defensive talent, which we need. And we might even lose a second-round pick. Big, big mistake. If you see that on draft night, boys, get ready to burn the midnight oil because it's going to be a long year. <laughs> Matt and Hoboken, great call. Appreciate you. And I'll tell you this, man. I know that uh, I know Anthony Richardson hasn't had the production in college. He only had 13 career starts. But, man, to me, look, he, he, ain't, he ain't no Honda Accord, right? You know what you're going to get out of a Honda Accord. But to me – He's that 2024 Cadillac Escalade where you see all the bells and whistles and you're like, man, I can see myself riding down the block in that one, right? I can see myself going into Finley Cadillac, picking it up, and riding off looking good. That's just me. I get caught up in that, but the, the sensible mind, Matt, is, is what you're saying. Like, hey, the production is not there. Going back to what DeMond said, that he'd like to see production. Well, we'd want to hear from you. 69187, keyword R&R again. What characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company be looking for in their first round picks? Hit us up. Send us a text. We'll get to it. We got Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He's coming up next. We'll start off with that question. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. 
That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Little custom intro right there. I don't think our next guest got to hear it. We might have to run that back in a second. Let me go ahead and reset the show question that we have today on Unnecessary Roughness Radio 920. The question I threw out there, what characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company look for in their early round picks? Like first round, second round, what should they be looking for? My, my answer is alpha dog mentality. You've got to have an alpha. You've got to have playmakers and intelligence when it comes to situational football. Those are the three I'm looking for. DeMond, before we bring in our next guest, should we run it back so you can hear the intro? Because I don't think he was available to hear the intro. Oh, yeah, I'll run it back real quick. Yeah, run it back. Run it back. I want to get the answers to the question that we threw out there. 69187, keyword R&R. Again, 69187, keyword R&R. It's a WBroke.com text line. But here is the intro that DeMond made for our next guest. Here it is. Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last. But bad guys do. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. And Paul Gutierrez from ESPN joins us now on the phone lines. And you know when it's a custom intro, it's got to be Paul. And Paul, when you hear that intro, what does that mean to you? <laughs> it means I want to talk it with my, with my uh, Cuban accent or the fake Cuban accent anyway. Say, hey, yo, say hello to the bad guy. <laughs> and maybe that's the kind of the personality that the Raiders need to draft. I mean, it all kind of comes together. You know, that, that's what they need. They need somebody that's a bad guy, somebody that backs up the talk and walks the walk. And, and uh, you know, DeMond and I have the, the pro wrestling connection being fans from back in the day, and, and maybe we got to school you up a little bit on it. But, yeah, that's Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall. And uh, Hall of Famer, rest in peace, but one of the uh, iconic iconic themes of the of the mid to late 90s, early 2000s in the WWE. So, there you yeah, go. That's, that's, that's what it's all about, really. I remember the name Razor Ramon. I remember that he was a a, a great uh, name in the WWE. I know fans were big fans of him, but I didn't, I didn't, I, like I didn't obviously didn't follow him. But okay, there you go, a little Razor Ramon action there for you. I, I respect that, Demond. That's good. Hey yo, give me your, throw, throw it up, Keith. <laughs> throw it up. Throw what up? Too sweet. That's not too sweet. You're throwing what he's throwing. Paul, what he's doing right now in the studio looks like he's saying like hook 'em Longhorns or hook 'em horns. Like he's he's representing UT. It's kind of it's it's kind of like that. You put the two fingers together, yeah, just too sweet, and you can do the four life. Yeah, it all it all kind of comes together. It all kind of meshes. And when you're old men like you and I are, it just all kind of melts together. <laughs> right. Well, that's the kind of fight action you can get on twelve thirty the game when Demond does his show, the fight game, which he uh, had earlier today. So maybe he's still in the fight mood. Well, Paul, we definitely appreciate you this afternoon. And before we get into Raider talk, because I definitely want to do that as the draft is officially two weeks away from today, I'll get started. I got to ask, man, I saw the picture of you and Fernando Valenzuela at the Giants and Dodger game the other day. And look, I, I know how great Fernando was. I really respected the hell out of him, even though I was definitely not a Dodger fan. I'm a 
A's fan through and through, but how awesome was that? I know you have a little bit of relationship with him. How cool was that just to be around Fernando again and looking like he was in really good shape still? Yeah, and that's the thing with Fernando is, is I've, I've built a relationship with him over the years. I mean, being in this industry now, and you know, you and I joke about we're old men, right? Yep. But, but we're seasoned, and we, we're around, and we get to see things and, and build relationships. And, and for me, it's one of the highlights, so to speak, of my career, as it were, because if I were to try to put everything together as to what is one moment where it kind of comes together, it was probably 20 years ago now. I went to a UNLV baseball game to do a story on Fernando Valenzuela Jr., who wow. was playing first base for the Hustle, for the Hustlin' Rebels. So I'm working at for the L.A. Times, which was the newspaper I grew up reading in Barstow, covering baseball, which was my favorite sport at the time, sitting with my idol as a kid, Fernando Valenzuela, up in the stands and just taking it all in at my alma mater. I, I, I was like, I don't know what, what happened from here, you know? So with that story, it's built into a relationship over the years. And we've kept in contact and talked and stuff and, and, uh, you know, there's a potential of a project here in the future that, that uh, you know, we're trying to talk some things through. And, but to be able to see him again and talk to him and hang out in the Spanish language booth with him and Jose Mota and, and uh, Pepe Niguez, uh, you know, Miss Jaime Jardin, who just retired last year, um, but, you know, they're friends as well. So to be able to hang out with Fernando, and, and I got a picture of him too. He showed me the grip as to what he would throw, how he would throw the, the screwball. He <laughs> let me do a little video of him showing the motion of the screwball. I'm like, this is kind of mind blowing, and it's kind of cool. But at the same point, you got to be professional. You can't fanboy out. But, but to answer your question, yeah, it was, it was super cool to do that and to connect them. And it all goes back again to Vegas. A lot of people don't realize that his son, and he was at basically every game, just chilling up there in the stands. By himself. Wow! Fans would come up to him, kids would come up to him and ask for his autograph, and he would joke with them, say, "You need to get that guy's autograph," pointing to his son. <laughs> because the, the kids that were there twenty years ago getting the autographs, they didn't know who Fernando Senior was. They knew who Fernando Junior was. And now it's taken on a whole new life with the Dodgers are actually going to retire at number 34 um, this, this coming summer. And they've, they've usually held that, that regard for guys that are in Cooperstown. Right, no doubt. But, but, it's, but it's hard to, to say exactly how much he means to the Dodger family in general, Dodger fan base in general, to Latinos and Mexican-Americans and Mexicans in particular. You know, and I'm a big-time baseball fan. I, I laugh at the rules. I was just telling DeMond that before the show. I, I laugh at the new rules because if you're a baseball fan, you're a baseball fan. And I'll go to my grave and tell you that Ricky Henderson was the greatest baseball player to ever live, and that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. But I know how great Fernando Valenzuela was. I know what he meant, you know, obviously to the you know Mexican-Americans, to the culture, and to the Dodger fan base. But when you look at the big picture, and it's a shame he's not in Cooperstown yet, what did he mean to baseball? Because he was fantastic, Paul. Well, it was it was a thing where, and again, when Fernando Mania was born, I was 11 years old, and that's one thing that we joked about when mm-hmm. we were talking about our age. And I, you know, I, I said, "Yeah, you know, I just turned 53 a couple of weeks ago." He's wait a minute, I'm only nine years older than you. And I said, well, <laughs> but that's what you're still claiming. <laughs> you know, he we were saying he was 20 years old when he was a rookie, when he was, you know, throwing all those shutouts at the beginning of the year. It 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 was more of a it was a healing experience for LA as well because remember where they built Dodger Stadium in Chavez Ravine a lot of Mexican and Mexican-American families were forcibly moved out of that area so they could build the stadium. So a lot of the Latinos in Los Angeles refused to go to games as sort of a protest. Well, when he comes out of nowhere and he's dealing and he wins Rookie of the Year and Cy Young and leads the Dodgers to a World Series title in 81, it was a welcome back experience. And whenever you go to Dodger Stadium, even today, you see a lot of Valenzuela jerseys. So 
beyond just the cultural impact. That's one of the reasons, and, you know, and I still do vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame for my, my time as a baseball writer in, in the previous life, so to speak. But it, 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 it just kind of transcends sport. It transcends culture. It's very, very similar to, actually, to what Tom Flores and Jim Plunkett represent to Raider fans, uh, Latino Raider fans in general, Mexican-American, Mexicans. Uh, in particular. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I like how you tied that together, and, and I just thought that was really cool seeing that picture, and then you educating me about his son being at UNLV. I had no idea, so, you know, I like to learn something new each and every day, so I thought that that was really cool. Again, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Now, Paul, you put out a piece on ESPN.com, and you're looking at the draft, and you were looking at it from an offensive side of things, so that's what we'll do today. We'll do that from an offensive side of things. You said you'll put out your defensive side coming up next week, so we'll just kind of reserve you for next week for that but let's talk about the offensive <laughs> side of things uh with the number seven overall pick or not even the number seven overall pick with their first pick do you think that the Raiders make yeah. a move whether it's stay at seven or move up to go get a quarterback that they may covet that could be their franchise quarterback of the future yeah I know I always go on long long answers to short questions but uh, but that's what this is I, the key here to me is the number three pick because it's, it's obvious the Raiders tried to move up to number one and if they're going to do that, it's pretty, you can presume that they were going after a quarterback that they fell in love with that they like, right? So if that guy that they fell in love with is still there at three and the Cardinals are sitting there and the Cardinals have no intention of drafting a quarterback, if the Raiders make that move, okay, then they're going to get a quarterback. Because it, it, meaning, you, know, you talked to Dave Ziggler and, and Josh Mangum, I did as well. They look at the draft as selecting the best player available. Now, will they do that? We'll see. But if that's their mindset, their mindset is how can you hurt your team if you're making a strength stronger? There's no doubt that, that Jimmy Garoppolo is QB1, right? Mm-hmm. But if, and, and, and whether he's a bridge or he's a long-term solution, that's to be determined. But if he's there, as Dave Ziggler told me, he at least gives them the comfort level that they don't have to reach. They don't have to jump up to get, okay, well, let's jump up and take our number two or our number three choice. Now they only have to jump if their number one guy is there and they fall in love with him. If they sit tight at seven, somebody's going to fall to them that's going to address those needs and, and, and be the best player available on their board there too. So they're in a really good spot. They're in a spot where they can trade up. They're in a spot where they can trade back and still get some good, get a good player there. So, um, I, I know it's kind of a roundabout answer. No, no, it's good. To me, yeah, to me, the key is if the guy that to watch them at number three, because if the guy that they fell in love with that they were trying to trade up to one four is still there at three, that's when they'll make the move. Talking right now with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Necessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. I've been saying this the whole draft process, that when the teams take a guy out to dinner, to dinner that means a little bit more. So with the Raiders, does it? I think it does, Q. <laughs> Q, you're not taking me out to dinner because you like me. I mean, I mean. I take you out to lunch all the time. Exactly, but that's because I'm such a good worker. Oh. That's what it is. You're not taking all the other schmucks out to lunch. <laughs> wow. Boom. Okay, so Anthony Richardson. <laughs> they took him to dinner. Do you think he is that quarterback that they wanted to move up for? And do you think he's that guy that if he's there at three, they make the move? Um, number one, Q's never taken me out to lunch or dinner. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> we hung out I at the owners' to meetings together. We're good. We had the we had the we ultimate tab. Good. We didn't have to pay for anything. <laughs> That's true. And Dan Graziano actually texted me a picture of his uh, Peloton workout, and it was with him. So I'll just let you. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if it is Rich, you know, and that's the, it's intriguing to me. I, I don't know if it's Richardson. I, the sense I get is that it's Bryce Young. 
that they really, really like. And, you know, and I know we're just kind of talking here. I, I, I can't report that. I'm not writing that. But that's the sense I get today. It could all change. They, you know, by the time the process is done, by the time they're ready to make their pick, they will have had all five of the top five quarterbacks in the building. So did they take all five of them out to lunch? Did they take them to the Excalibur buffet? Where did they take them? It all depends upon where they're going. If you, you know, I like the Excalibur buffet, but it's going to clean you out, you know, <laughs> physically. So, you know, it depends upon where you take somebody to, to lunch, to dinner, whatever. We know where, where Jimmy G ate. He ate at the strip state place in, in Mandalay Bay on his own. So, yeah, it just kind of depends upon who, what they do there. And, and I would assume that of all those five guys that, that will have come in by the time the draft is, they took them all out for a bite to eat. If not, if not just let them eat in the, in the, in the cafeteria there in, in, the, in the facility. So we'll see. And then that other position that you had on this list here is offensive tackle. How much would it be a facepalm moment? Would Raider Nation be mad if they draft an offensive lineman at number seven? Yes. <laughs> I believe so because they basically went out and, and re-signed their entire starting offensive line from last year, which the knee-jerk reaction there is, oh, what's the, the, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over again and expecting different results? Except that offensive line wasn't as terrible as we all thought it was going to be. It was actually pretty solid. And all you need to do is talk to Josh Jacobs about how solid that offensive line was because it opened up enough holes for him to lead the league in rushing and to become all pro. So if you're, bringing, if you're running it back and you, again, but again, if you're going to take Ziggler, Dave Ziggler at his word that why would it be bad to make a strength even stronger by taking the, the best player? It all depends upon who is at the top of their list. And we're not privy to it. They know what it is. And, you know, I'm sure the list changes daily, if not hourly anyway, of who they like. But to answer your question, would Raider fans be upset if they drafted an offensive lineman? Depending upon who's still available, uh, like you said, yes. Yeah, there's there's no doubt, especially with all the defensive players that are in this draft and yeah. knowing how many holes are on the defensive side of things. And like I say with Paul, we'll talk to him next week about defense. But uh, I did like how you were talking about tight end, and we know Darren Waller's now in New York with the Giants. Uh, I like Darnell Washington a lot out of Georgia. I think a lot of people like Darnell Washington a lot out of Georgia. Not only could he play tight end, but he kind of doubles as an offensive lineman, similar to what Thayer Mumford did. He would come in as a sixth offensive lineman last season. Uh, do you think that they have an opportunity for Washington? Is he going to be a first-round guy? Or, and how much do you think they'll come out of this draft with a tight end or maybe even two because it is a deep class? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, now, again, and they kind of put the little asterisk there in the story, right, that, that a tight end at seven, I can't see it there. But right. what if they trade back and get multiple first-rounders or another second-rounder? That's where I could see them addressing that need um, because for this offense – and, and we've seen what Josh McDaniels' offense looked like in the past, but they also had a, a future Hall of Famer, Rob Gronkowski. That's the skill set that he likes, right? Uh, he wasn't known as a blocker, but he was a, a pass catcher, and he could rumble and, and down the field. And that's what Darren Waller anticipated doing when he first came last year, when, when Josh first came last year. So, um, yeah, I... I do believe they're going to draft one. I just don't know how high. Right. And if they draft one fairly high, then that means that something is off too because they've got way more important needs, especially since they signed the two guys in free agency. Um, but, but it's a deep class, and you know, I just see second or third round, definitely. Especially yeah. the guys might fall. Yeah, I can too. And, and again, I don't think Darnell Washington, the Las Vegas native out of Georgia, I don't think he's, uh, he's going to be available in round two. I just think too many people are enamored by the, the, the big man 
out of Georgia. And we'll go back. We'll close out with the quarterback position. Say they don't get one with their first pick or second pick, and they get one later on in the draft because I do think that they'll come out of the, the draft with at least some kind of quarterback, regardless if it's a franchise guy or just another quarterback to have in that room. Uh, is there anybody that's a later-round quarterback that you are kind of got your eye on thinking that maybe they fit in with what Josh McDaniels wants to do? Irony of all ironies, um, Jay Kaner from Fresno State just keeps, <laughs> keeps popping up on my on my radar. Uh, it's just interesting, and, and and it's funny. Like when we were talking with Josh after the breakfast that day, and yep. he listed all the quarterbacks. He listed him and the kid from Purdue as well. Mm-hmm. And then and I was halfway joking. I said, "So the order you just listed all these guys is that your order of preference?" And then he kind of stopped himself and laughed. Oh no, no connection. It's just these are guys. We're doing a deep dive. Yeah, they're going to draft somebody. Uh, Jake Hayner to me is real, real impressive. Fresno State guy, um, you know, and, and obviously big, you know, Derek Carr was a big fan of his last year. And I remember talking to Derek off to the side a few times about him and how impressive he was, or impressed he was with him. So that's somebody to keep an eye on there. And, and the fact that, that McDaniels referenced uh, the quarterback from Purdue, that's somebody to keep an eye on as well. There you go. A couple quarterbacks to keep your eye on as uh, as the draft is officially two weeks away from today. We'll be in Kansas City preparing for the first round. Well, Paul, again, your piece that you put out on ESPN.com talking about the draft and talking about all things offense. Could the Raiders go with an offensive player early in the draft? If so, who? Next week it'll be defense, and that's on ESPN.com. Uh, what's up next besides the defensive side of things? That's it, man. Just looking at just looking at what the draft is all about and, and – uh, trying to take how, how can they improve you know, this new quote-unquote regime at the second year but last year it's first and second round picks were a guy by the name of Devontae Adams so right. that, that's pretty nice of what they did there but you know there's just been so many swings and misses uh especially in the first round for the past 20 years really when you look at it so now these guys as, as the sense that all of us got at the owners meetings from Mark Davis these guys are operating with all the job security in the world just don't mess it up, right? Right. So they, they're operating that way, so let's see exactly what they can do and to get rid of some bad years of juju that goes back beyond Jamarcus Russell. Right. Well, I'll say this, Paul. Uh, as they've turned over the roster, even just this uh, offseason, these are their guys now, right? All the guys they've signed are their guys. The guys that they draft this upcoming draft, those are their guys. Obviously, the small handful of selections they had last year were their guys. So now it's on them. There's no more excuses like, well, you know, this is the team that we inherited. No, this is your team now. You turned the roster over quite a bit. Right. And as Mark Davis said, he got upset when people said, oh, we're not turning into the Patriots West. Any coach that goes somewhere, or GM, they're going to bring people in that they're comfortable with. Okay, well, let's see what happens. Right. It's, it's, it's that simple. And that's why I haven't, you know, got up in arms about it. It's like, okay, hey, you got your guys in? Let's see exactly how it shakes out. Well, Paul, fantastic stuff as always, my man. Uh, great stuff with Fernando. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk a little defense. Sounds good. And as DeMond would say, survey time. One more <laughs> for the good guys. <laughs> as DeMond last, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Thanks so much, Paul. Great stuff. As always, you can find Paul on Twitter at P Gutierrez ESPN with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. 252 is the time. You want me to stick it right here? What do you want me to do? Or you want me to take a break? What do you want take me to do? Take a break. <laughs> you see how fast he said that? This is Raider Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Got some sounds from Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN. That'll come up at the top of the hour, but we want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. Talking about characteristics that Dave Ziegler and company should be looking for, especially in their early round picks. What do you think that they should be looking for? What are the characteristics that matter the most to you? Again, 702-365-9200. Don'tbebroke.com. Text line is 69187. Keyword R&R. Let's go out to L.A. Talk to our good friend Eddie. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? 
What's going on, guys? Well, what we need to do is get some dogs. We've been talking about it, right? Whatever whatever other prerequisites you're talking about, they need to be your character and all that. At the end of the day, like Jim and Carter, at the, end of, at the end of the day, can you really afford to pass up on a, a guy with that much production? Now, I understand the intangibles that he brings off off the field, uh, but just remember this. The guy's young. You put him around the right group of people. This is what, what New England used to do for a very long time, right? Take those type of players, put them in the right group of people, and then they flourished, and then they left somewhere else, and it wasn't the same. So th- th- this might be the right time to draft a player like him. It might not. But the, the, what scares me about going after Richardson is uh, uh, going after just that particular talent and in hopes that you can mold them to fit your system and everything around it. Uh, and, and you bring up uh, references uh, like uh, Pat Mahomes. But what we always tend to – I feel what we always tend to forget is – Pat Mahomes fell into a situation with arguably one of the best head coaches that, that ever coached in this league, Andy Reid. And this, he wasn't the first type of player Andy Reid had. Yeah, he had a chance to coach McNabb and, be, and Michael Vick and be able to, to build a system around that type of a quarterback. Now, can, are we honestly speaking and saying that McDaniels is going to be capable of doing that? I, my answer to that is no. I think you, if, you're, if you're really interested in building this team long-term success, you really have to put in productive players that are just productive, not overly talented, not, not getting high because they're, they're moving up in the draft board, but their production over a four-year period has proved them worthy enough to pick that pick. At the end of the day, we're only we talking about draft picks as being a, a potential uh, Pro Bowl slash whatever players, and until they get on the field and actually prove it, nobody can ever say one or the other. But we don't have that full structure from top to bottom on this team right now that we can honestly say you can just plug in whatever player and he's going to be successful. We need to build that. And in order to build that, you need people that are going to do their job day in and day out. Those dogs that are going to go in there and just crowd up the middle and make it so hard for everything else. And we talked about this plenty of times. Is that linebacker, that linebacker spot, wherever it's through the draft, through a trade, we have to address that. Hopefully it comes to the draft so we can have, we can have some stability and as far as the the, uh, the cap goes here in the in the days in the years to come, but definitely have to go out defense. If they go offensive, uh, 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 an offensive lineman, he better be an All Pro. He better be a guy that's going to be a uh, uh, Pro Bowl type caliber for all the years to come. Because if you waste that pick again, what the Raiders typically do is always go out and reach for something they shouldn't. Like Richardson, to me, that's a reach. And even it, especially when you when you take into account that you might have to trade up into the draft. No, you got to stockpile players, man. Get some beasts and move. Uh, get this defense finally moving along. I'm tired of waiting for the Derek Bridges of the world. Come on, Raider Nation, stay up. All right, there he goes. Eddie in L.A. got a big, uh, big, big call right there. A lot of information to uh, unpack. We definitely appreciate you. And again, the question I throw out there: What characteristics should GM Dave Ziegler and company be looking for with their early round picks? Talking first round, second round. What kind of players are you looking for? Again, my answer: Alpha dog mentality, playmaking ability, and intelligence when it comes to situational football. But what says you? This is Radio Nation Radio nine twenty.